Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. This morning, we're going to continue our conversation in the book of Ephesians that Matt opened up to us last week. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll start in that in a moment. Um, but if you remember, or if you were here last week, or if you weren't, I'll give you a little recap, but last week, Matt introduced us to this first part of Ephesians chapter 1, and these rich kind of theological doctrinal statements that are these um, uh, words that are just full of meaning, and he opened up a few of those last week, but some of the things that Matt highlighted were we're chosen by God, we're adopted into his family, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing by our Father in heaven, we're forgiven and included in Christ, we're welcomed into this mystery that God has of calling this holy people to himself, lavished with grace and filled with the Spirit, just to name a few. You could spend an entire year on any one of those. And yet we just kind of highlighted those. And Matt zeroed in on this idea of that we are, we are we're lavished with grace, but we're given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, Paul's going to continue this encouragement to the church. And today he's going to turn his thoughts towards prayer by praying a prayer. Today's passage is, is part of kind of what I consider two prayers in Ephesians that bookend this really rich theological part or this rich part of Ephesians that explains God's plan for drawing people to himself. So in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, the prayer starts, and at the end of this morning, we're going to end with Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, where Paul picks up where he left off, but in between, he gives us all of these these milestones of what it means to be part of the family of God. And so that's what we're going to continue on this morning as Paul turns his thoughts towards prayer. Um, this morning we're going to have another of our international ministry partners share and open up the scripture with us. So the video is going to show uh, a friend of mine from South Africa. My name is Tangiso Mohobo. I'm a pastor in Lesotho and in South Africa. Uh, I'm very pleased and blessed uh, to come and read this uh, passage of Ephesians to you guys as a blessing to you uh, as God is so faithful in all that he do. So I would love you to, to be with me now as I'm reading this passage in the book of Ephesians. Let's go and read one of the teachings in the book of Ephesians which is such a blessing uh, to read this book of Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15 to 23. It's such a great, wonderful, encouraging prayer, which I will love you to hear it and feel it into yourself. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will be with you during this time. Uh, from verse 15, it reads as follows. Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, 
making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that towards us who believed according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all under he all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all amen that's verse 23 that's where our prayer ends today i would love to send this to you guys and to know that God is faithful in whatever you're doing all in around the world, even over your churches, God is so faithful. I'm praying that all these words of encouragement, all that Paul is speaking about here is from my heart also to you guys that may God enlighten you, enlighten the eyes of your understanding enlighten the eyes of your heart that you may understand all what god have put into you and understand the calling that god have called you for this is my prayer to you guys that you may be filled with the power of the holy spirit even into your inner man that christ may dwell in your heart in faith that you continue to do the greatness of god's work to empower and to enrich the kingdom of God. Thank you. May the Lord bless you. Love you so much. River's Edge. God be with you. Amen. Oh, I love that guy. I tell you what, when we are when we're traveling with him around the world, he is just like that 24-7. Uh, every day of the week. I mean, it's just amazing. And, uh, you know, I should have just asked him to preach the whole thing. Then I would, could just sit down, right? Because he's going after it there. But what Tonky Sue shared with us this morning is really the passages that we're going to open up and we're going to spend a little bit of time with this morning, starting in verse 15. So Paul starts out by this uh, kind of opening up the reason why he's praying. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in, our, in, in my prayers. And so Paul had heard about the Ephesians. He'd heard about their response 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it prompted him to pray. It prompted him to pray for them. It prompted him to remember them and, and continually being, uh, having him bring them before God in his prayers. He mentions their faith in Jesus and their love for all. Uh, like them and and all of the people who in the prayer time this morning Kelly brought out the fact that that Paul used this word saints all the people who were believers in Christ were being sanctified by the Holy Spirit who were being brought into this family of God and it made Paul happy it made him excited to be praying for them grateful to hear about their faith and good works and he prayed for them often and so I want us to kind of think about a couple of questions as we move into this passage this morning and that is just two simple things who are you thankful for? Who are you thankful for? And are you remembering them in your prayers? There's people all over the world, like Tonki Sue, like Michael last week who shared the word, that remember us at River's Edge in their prayers every single day. We're being lifted up as part of the body of Christ and being remembered in their prayers. And so who are we remembering in our prayers, and who are we thankful for? In the same way that Paul was thankful. Paul's thankful for these people who are coming into knowledge of Jesus, and who are actually, their lives are being changed and transformed. That's what this whole word saint is kind of part of the root word sanctify. It's where the word sanctify comes from. It means to be made holy. It means a holy person, a person who is, who is being made into the image of God, the process of sanctification. And Jesus is without blame. Matt talked about last week in Ephesians 1, chapter or verse 4, he talked about Jesus who was without blame, is able to bring all these things into being, bring all these things into reality in these individual people's lives and in our lives. So Paul prays for that, and he prays in verse 17 through 19, he begins this short prayer about um, how he's praying for them to be given this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And if you notice when Tankisu was reading, it gets pretty excited, especially when he says all, right? It's like a three-minute all when he's saying that, but it really is all in all. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, and for us here at River's Edge, the same words apply, that we would be given this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And why is he doing that? He's praying that the power of prayer that is found in praying for a deeper relationship with Jesus would actually be brought into reality in their lives. He's praying that they would understand what it means to be part of the body of Christ. He says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, what? So that life is easy? No. So that um, you get the big house in the middle of Jerusalem? Mm, no. So that what? So that you may know God better. So you would know God. So you would know who he is and what he's done. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
Paul's doing a couple things here in this passage that sometimes we may overlook too. Because what Paul is doing is he's, he's drawing out the image and the imagery of the Old Testament and helping people to remember God's plan for salvation for his people going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. When we started this journey through the Bible, we spent 12 weeks in Genesis, maybe longer. And we, we, we talked not only through some of the, the key doctrines of the early part of creation and, and the problem in, of evil and all of that, but we, we, we spent a, a significant amount of time with Genesis chapter 12 where God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to redeem his people through them, through, through Abraham, through Abraham. That Abraham would become this blessing to all of the nations for future generations. And what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter, uh, if you put 17 through 19 back up on the screen, I want to bring up a couple of things as we talk about that. Paul's talking about this story of God and how it relates back to the people of God now in Ephesus, now even here today in Spokane at River's Edge. Paul is using this specific language in Ephesians that actually comes from the book of Deuteronomy. If you look in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, you'll see some of this language. He says, see, this is Moses. Moses is now talking to the people just before they're about to enter into the promised land. So God made this promise to Abraham that he's going to bless the nations and make a people for his glory through, through Abraham. We get to Moses, and Moses leads the people out of Egypt in the great Exodus. The book of Exodus talks about this deliverance from God. Now we're at the end of Moses' ministry, at the end of Moses' life. He struck the rock. He's not going to walk into the promised land with the people. So he himself, Moses, gives these words of encouragement to the Israelites as they're about to enter into the promised land. That's the context for these words in Deuteronomy. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow him in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding. You see that language Paul is talking about? The wisdom and understanding that Moses was asking the people to experience, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus to experience. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, but he also was preaching. If we look at Acts chapter 19, he was going into Tyrannus Hall and preaching to the Greeks, but he's also preaching in the synagogues every week. He's preaching to both. So he's drawing people into this grand story of who God is and the people that he has called and how we are a part of that, whether we're at the church in Ephesus or River's Edge or South Africa or Lesotho, or the Philippines, or wherever we are. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. Down to verse 20. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, that's Egypt, when they were in captivity, to be the people of his inheritance. See that language of the glorious inheritance. Moses was telling the people before they had even entered into the promised land, you are God's inheritance. Paul is saying the same thing to the church in Ephesus and the same thing to us today. 
And then if we jump down to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So when Paul is praying for this, for the church in Ephesus, when we are reading this this morning in Spokane, Washington, 2,000 plus or almost 2,000 years later, Paul is saying to us, you are God's treasured possession. You are his glorious inheritance. You, River's Edge. You are God's treasured possession. You are God's glorious inheritance. Now, when the, a Jewish person heard that, they're going back to the story of God. When the church in Ephesus heard that, they didn't have the same context. They needed to be taught that. They needed to be encouraged in that. Sometimes we need to be encouraged in that too. Because I don't know about you, but I don't always feel every day like I am God's glorious inheritance. And I don't even act sometimes like I'm his treasured possession. And sometimes I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ. Of what he has done for me. Of what he has done for each one of us. Which Matt reminded us last week when he was sharing about the earlier parts of this passage. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. That's who we are. That's who we are here. That's who we are tonight at the barbecue in Audubon Park. That's who we are this week when we go into the workplaces that we find ourselves. We are God's treasured possession, his glorious inheritance. And look what Paul doesn't pray for. I think this is important too. Because oftentimes when we pray, we're praying for things. We're praying for things to either be changed, we're praying for specific things to come, into, to come to pass or to come into being, and that's not what Paul is praying for here. Because Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances at all. Do you notice that? In this particular section of Ephesians 1, 17-19, Paul's not praying for their circumstances. He could have prayed for his own circumstances. He's in prison. This is one of what's considered kind of the prison epistles when he's in, in house arrest in Rome. So he's, he's under persecution himself. Later on in the book, he's going to talk about that specifically. Hey, don't worry about my suffering, that I'm a prisoner for the Lord, because I hold that in great regard. He could have been praying for that. He could have been praying for their specific circumstances. And yet what he's praying for is he's saying, Lord, I want them to understand the power that's available to them. I want them to understand through prayer that when I pray for wisdom and revelation for them, that they would understand that whatever the circumstances are in their lives, this would become an opportunity to grow closer to Jesus whatever the circumstances. And I look around the room here this morning, and I know that we have walked through some circumstances. And yet I know, because I've heard the testimonies on this stage from many of you, that regardless of the circumstances, you've grown closer to Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul was praying for. 
that it's not what we're going through, it's who we're going through it with that matters. It's that we would come to know him in greater measure. Paul asked that God would grant the Ephesian believers this wisdom and understanding and knowledge that they would know God, but also know him in a way that would enable them to see any circumstances that they're going through as an opportunity to become more like Jesus. That's a powerful thing to grasp. Because there is no doubt that many of us in this room are going to go through circumstances that are going to be difficult. And yet the promise that God gives us is that I am with you wherever you go. I am with you. I will empower you. I will be with you. I will give you whatever you need and you can rely on me. It's all the way through the New Testament specifically. So that's what Paul is praying for. And you know, one thing to keep in mind is that we serve a God through Jesus that has all the power. And we've been given that power. We've, we've seen that outworked in our own lives and we've seen that outworked in the life of the church around the world. That's what Paul is talking about at the end of Ephesians 1.19. Paul speaks of the surpassing greatness of God's power. Because Jesus was crucified, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended, he's seated on the right hand of God the Father, and he rules and reigns over everything, every circumstance, every place, every person, whatever's going on. We pray for that often here at River's Edge. We pray for the kingdom of God, that God's will would be done here in Spokane as it is in heaven, that the kingdom of God would break in that the kingdom of God would be real in our lives, that we would understand and know what it looks like to walk with him in a close way. And as Paul is finishing off this section of Ephesians, he talks about three things that, that point to this power that's available through Jesus. Beginning in verse 20, he says that that power is the same as the mighty strength that was exerted when, when he, when God, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. You grasp what Paul just said there? He doesn't have to pray for the Ephesians church circumstances, the people who are there for their circumstances. He's praying that they would grasp who it is who has all power and authority and dominion over everything. Over the church, over the world, over the powers of darkness, over the powers of light. It doesn't matter. That whatever it is, if we would understand who Christ is and come to know him more fully, we wouldn't be praying for circumstances. We would just understand God's plan for us in those circumstances. They would already be part of our understanding. He made Christ to be head over all things. In the crucifixion and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, God's power was at work in Christ. Those of you who like to read theology, I just want to throw out The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Probably one of the best examples of 
the atonement and the work of Christ of God that God did at the, at the cross. But God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and God exalted Christ to heaven and God seated Christ at his right hand and God put all things under his feet and God made him head over all things to the called out people, to the who? The church, to us. And God seated Jesus at his right hand. He shared his throne with himself, with his son. The, the creator and sustainer of the universe brought Jesus into the throne room and said, this is yours. This was my plan. Jesus says in Revelation 3.21, I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. That's what the lamb did. We are God's called out people, his body, his fullness. It's interesting that God that, that Paul uses this terminology. Paul says that Christ is the head over all things to the church. Often, or the, the Greek word for the church there is ekklesia. And uh, it's from the root word kaleo, which means to call. Sounds like call, right? But it, the called out ones, that's who we are. That's the church. So when you see that word in the New Testament, that gathering of people, that's the called out ones. The, one that God, the ones that God has called out and called to be His people. Chosen to be His people. It, it's, it's us here in Spokane. It's, it's my friends in Lesotho and South Africa. It's my friends in, in, in the Philippines and China and the Koreas and Singapore. And the list could go on and on and on and on around the world. Some of you have been to China. You've got friends there right now that you're praying for. They're the called out ones too. Just like we are, this word means called out. It's referring to this body, this one body of people whom Jesus has made to be holy. Like the words that Moses had to the people who were called to be God's people in Deuteronomy. He's called them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of heaven where he now rules as king. So did you catch that? We have been called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven where, God, where Jesus is ruling and reigning. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for the realization of who we are in Christ. Not, not our names, not our location, not our jobs. Who we are in Christ. Part of the called out people of the family of God. This is the, this, we are part of the extension of the promise that God Himself spoke to Abraham 3,000 years ago or more. 4,000 years ago. So we need to remember that we're part of this body of Christ and we're called to live as followers of Jesus. That's the gospel. And it's interesting to me that, God, that Paul calls this body of people the fullness of Christ. He calls us the fullness of Christ. I'm thinking back to when God is giving this, this magnificent promise to Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham, you know, 
as many as the stars are in the heavens and the sands are on the seashore, so shall your offspring be. He couldn't even imagine what that was like. He wasn't even a father when that promise was made. He was almost 90 years old. His wife was barren. She was laughing at God. And yet, look what happened. Because it was God's plan to call a people to be His own. It was God's plan to call you, each one of you, to be His own. Not the person next to you. Yes, the person next to you, but I'm I'm speaking, God is speaking directly to you. You're called to be His people, His person. As a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's an, that's an amazing thing to me. That we are called to be the fullness of Christ. That Christ, who is the head of the body, I mean, can you imagine if he's a head with no body? It's a little weird. We are, the without us, Christ is, is not full. The fullness of him, we make him full. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? I'm not, I'm not diminishing God here. I'm not diminishing Christ here. What I'm saying here is, without each one of you, Alex, without you, the body of Christ would not be as full. Addie, Doug, Adrian. Sorry, I'm not leaving this side out. Emily. That's an amazing thing. Not only are we called out, but we're called out to to fill up this plan that God has to redeem His creation. And that's what He does in the next couple of chapters. And in the next few weeks, Matt and a few others are going to unpack what that looks like. Unpack what it looks like in Ephesians chapter 2 when, when Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with us with him in the heavenly realms. So not only are we the fullness of Christ, but we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 4. Wow. People are going to see who God is through all of you. Some of them are going to see God in a new way tonight at the barbecue or tomorrow at your workplace. Or when you're pumping gas in the middle of the week. Wherever it is. Down to verse 15 in chapter 2. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So we're going to unpack, and Matt's going to unpack, and others are going to unpack what it means to break down this dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, which Paul's laying the groundwork for in this prayer and in the next couple of chapters. For through Him we have access to the Father by one Spirit, and in Him you who are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. 
Can you imagine in the church in Ephesus, the people in the synagogue who have just heard Paul talk about all of these, these ways in which um, they're going to they're gonna be the fulfilling of the scripture that was promised by Moses about being God's treasured possession and his glorious inheritance, and then hearing, oh my gosh, the Gentiles are coming in? you got to be kidding me. We have guards at the temple for that. If you go into the wrong courtyard, you're dead. If you're not the right person. And what's God saying here through Paul? He's saying here, I'm going to create one new humanity. Because his intent in verse chapter 3, verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, through the called out ones, through all of us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the prayer, Paul says, all things are under Christ's feet. He's ruling and reigning. Authorities, dominions, it doesn't matter who it is. And he's going to go on to expound in the next couple of chapters exactly what that looks like. And I've just teased you a little bit with those verses that Matt gets to unpack. But that's why I believe in just a few verses, in Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul prays in what my opinion is one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture. When he says in 3.14 these words, he says, for this reason, for what reason? For the reason we just talked about that we're the called out ones, that we're his glorious inheritance, that we're his treasure possession, that, that Christ is ruling and reigning over all of our lives to see God's purposes fulfilled. For this reason, you see how it's an extension of the prayer he started in chapter 1? He's just, he just, he's just like, oh, i got to tell you about this. i got to tell you about this. Oh, do you know this? He just, in fact, he starts the beginning of chapter 3 for this reason, and he goes, oh, did you not know? He just gets sidetracked again because his mind is just reeling with who God is and what God has done through Jesus Christ. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Last, I just realized the last time I preached on this passage was at my mom's memorial service five and a half years ago. She understood what it meant to live in circumstances, but she grew closer and closer to God to the last breath that she took. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may what? May dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's holy people, all the saints, some translations say, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may fill to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to show you a picture in ending this morning 
of a township in South Africa called Manyat Seng and a horrible place that existed called the TNT Tavern. And that was the TNT Tavern. And that was where lives and families were destroyed. Young girls in this township were taken in there and sexually abused and horrible things were done to them. It was really a tavern in a local brothel is what it was. And in 2015, we had the opportunity as God's gathered people in Montana to take an offering and buy that building. And in the first part of the middle of, the middle of November of 2015, um, myself and six other guys from Spokane and from Montana went there with the purpose of transforming this place into a church. And my friend Tankisu, who was reading the scripture at the beginning, this is where he grew up. He grew up in this area, in this township. And we got there with all of these hopes and expectations that God was going to open doors and amazing things were going to happen. And on Monday morning when we went there, it was locked up and we couldn't get in. And the guy who was making a lot of money off of selling drugs and selling alcohol and abusing young women in this place didn't want to give up what he had. And so we prayed. And on Tuesday, we still found ourselves locked out of this building. And so we prayed. And on Wednesday, we went there again, and we actually talked to the elders of the township and told them what was going on, and they said, oh, that sounds good. And still, we found ourselves locked out of this building. And on Thursday morning, I remember... Tanki Su and Lifa Kolasang, who's the pastor of this church now, and a couple of other leaders and some of our group were sitting under a tree, and we were pretty discouraged because we had been praying for our circumstances. We hadn't been praying for understanding what God was doing in the midst of this. And I remember going into a prayer meeting on Thursday night with Lifa and his elders, and we were getting prophetic words for them, and all sorts of really powerful things were happening. And yet, at the end of the night, the, the doors were still locked, and the doors were still closed. And on Friday morning, we have three days left. We've traveled halfway around the world to help build this church not realizing that the church was already being built just in what was going on, we began to pray. And Tonki Su had this amazing word that he shared with us. He said, brothers, he said, it is time for the impossible to become the unforgettable. And Lifa's phone rang. And it was the guy named Tinti who was locked inside this place, who was the owner of this horrible place. And he said to Lifa, I have to get my stuff out today. Lifa said, what do you mean? I have to get it out today. It has to be out today. God had so overwhelmed this guy. Not, he didn't turn out to be a great guy. God just did 
what he wanted to do with this guy. And this guy had to get his stuff out. So we went and we crafted this, um, another friend of mine, Wayne, who was there with me, we went on the internet and we crafted this like little agreement, like we were pretending to be lawyers. We could have used you there, Matt. But we, we kind of, we put together this cease, uh, cease and desist of a lease and this whole thing. We found as much legal jargon and words as we could find and made it all official and put fancy stuff on it. We're recording the thing as we're reading it. So we're hearing this guy say, yes, I agree to this. The whole works, you know. We, have, we, we actually gave the guy some money so he could rent a truck to get his stuff out. This is Friday. And on Friday evening, it was cleared out. About four in the afternoon, it was cleared out. And, I, and I'm, I'll never forget this till the day I die. He drove his truck across the gate into the road, and God literally opened up the heavens. It hadn't rained for five months. And a black cloud appeared over the sky, and, this, and, and the, it, was like, it was like what I envisioned Moses being up on the top of Mount Horeb, right? And lightning is hitting, lightning is hitting the hillside behind the church, and it started raining. And it rained like two inches in an hour. And there's floods going down. The guy, by the time he got down to the bottom of the hill, his, his truck was stuck in like this little three-foot river that had just been created. And God's lightning is just hitting the hillside. I can still smell the electricity in the air. And you see the flash and you hear the thunder. And it was like we were right in the center of the presence of God. Because what God wanted to have happen, happened. So we got up early Saturday morning. We had one day. And when we got there, the people of the village had been working all night long, it would seem. And they were singing, and they were cleaning this place out. And we got to work, and we went to the hardware store, and the broken windows got replaced in a day, and we put new paint on it. And the next picture is what happened on Saturday, the day that we were there. And this is the Sepong Church in Manyat Seng, South Africa, after 12 hours of working together. And that became the church building. Then on the next day, all of these people gathered who are the Sepong Church in Manyat Seng. And this guy right here, that's the guy who wrote, read, wrote, read the scripture to us this morning. That's Tankisu. See, we saw God in action. We saw the power of God displayed like no other. Because we weren't finally praying for circumstances. We were just praying for God to move. And he did in a powerful way. And one day, those people are going to be standing here with us, God willing. And they're going to be encouraging us all the way from South Africa or all the way from Lesotho or all the way from wherever it is. Singapore, Malaysia. It doesn't matter. We are the body of Christ together. That's what Paul's praying for. And that's what Paul ends in this, what's called a doxology, which just means bring glory to God in 3.20. He says, now, and I want to close with this this morning. So, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it is work within us, to him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.